0: Welcome to The Data Chief. The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. The role of the CDO is changing, and with these changes come new opportunities to prove business value. On this episode of The Data Chief, Ido Bigger, EVP of Data and Technology for Delic US, explains how he's breaking down data silos and turning insights to action. He also takes listeners through several analytics use cases, including creating operational efficiencies for frontline workers and reducing customer churn. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. Ido, welcome
1: to the Data Chief.
2: Thank you for having me, Sandy.
1: Well, it's been a few years, several years, I'm thinking five or six years since I last saw you in person in England, if I remember correctly. But where are you joining us from today?
2: Now I'm joining from Brentwood, Tennessee, right very close to Nashville, from our headquarters in uh, of Delic, U.S.
1: Oh, very nice. So I'm picturing the move from Israel to Nashville. Have you acquired a taste for country music yet?
2: Yes, very much so. So Freebird is in my mind all the time.
1: <laughs> okay, good. So tell us a little bit about why you made this big international move.
2: Well, it's a it's a nice story because um I was living here before, uh working for the financial industry in New York. I was living in Jersey, moving back to Israel for the Telco industry. I was the first one of the first chief data officers in Israel. I had a very good opportunity to start this kind of phenomena there. Uh, later on, moved to become the chief data officer for uh, El the Israeli Airlines and there moved to be the CIO and chief uh, data officer there. The CEO, the last CEO that I had over there was, uh, he moved actually here to the, to the States and he became the CEO of Dell QS. And apparently I did something not that bad at all that he requested me to join him. (laughs) So I did.
1: Yeah, you're so humble. And I think that is um, when we met. It was actually one of the very first CDO circles that Gartner had at the summit in England, overlooking the Thames. (laughs) And so at that time, we were actually still defining What does a good CDO role look like? What are the top priorities? And I think with some of your job changes, you have an interesting perspective on how the role has changed. So tell us a little bit about your current role at Delic.
2: Well, so I'm a third generation chief data officer because I was initially just a chief data officer. After many years of leading uh, BI and analytics uh, throughout the company, and I think the major change that we actually built together uh, in that um, roundtable there and with Gartner, I think, uh, it was about understanding the role and what is kind of the main differences between the previous ones that everybody knows, kind of heading the BI and analytics towards the chief data officer, which is in charge of uh, what to actually do with the data, not just supply the data to relevant people, but to also generate value out of it, right? So we determine everything around that. Uh, Luckily, I had opportunity of um, expanding my role to become a CIO later on. So by managing those two together, it allowed me maybe to confront one of the biggest challenges of a chief data officer, and that's to embed back uh, all of those insights and wonderful data products into the operational systems. And that really allows later on to change the data culture of the organization. So I think By moving from someone who just led BI and analytics to someone who is in charge of utilization of the data of the company, and then even implement it back to the operational system, those were kind of the three generations, as I see it, uh, in this role.
1: Yeah, so that's interesting, Um, and especially that you think about it as embedding it back. Um, So maybe it's also that insight to action, but even earlier, where and how we capture the data so tell us a little bit more about Delic as an energy company and the types of data where you're creating this full capture insight action.
2: So I will tell you a few stories, not just about Delic, but Delic as, because okay. I'm just seven months here and, and we are in this process of making ourselves a data-driven company. So it allows us to get many, many sources. It can come from the headquarters and kind of the ERP systems, but it derives to the the different refineries and each refinery is a world of of its own. And and a lot of things that with regards to retail and to supply chain and with, uh, you know, trucks, rails, uh, a lot of uh, interesting sources. Um, So it allows us to kind of break the silos that you you sometimes find in organizations, especially uh, large ones. But it, it, it's the same story. You know, Cindy, I have been working for several industries before, right? So telco, financial industry, retail, high-tech companies, and uh, um, then aviation and now oil and gas. And the more traditional you go, I mean, in terms of the the actual item or the actual uh, product, uh, it, it's, it becomes more and more siloed uh, in the way that business units are uh, applying their technology. And sometimes you find, you know, the same technologies or different technologies that, that were there for the same reason because they were not kind of overseed with the same uh, way of looking at it as as one company. So I think it's it's something that resembles, by the way, I had the same issues with, uh, with the airline that I used to work for. And then I think data is a great starting point to kind of break those silos because it's easier to break those silos through data for a significant data layer that absorbs those um, uh, different sources uh, so it can be multiple things. It can be external sources. It can be IoT devices. In the airline, it was the, air- the airplanes themselves. Uh, in the industry, in the television industry, it was about the set of boxes, right? So in terms of uh, getting the information from the clicks of the of the customers. So multiple sources, but more, more importantly, is to generate the value out of it and to understand the use case and the multiple sources needed for that.
1: So let's unpack a couple things there, Ido. So first off, In the energy sector, and I don't think I've shared this with you or you know this, I actually started in BI and analytics 30 years ago at Dow in our hydrocarbons business unit. So we had a refinery, Total refinery up in Holland in the Netherlands. And so I know data there, when you make a decision or um, the price impact when you think about the data and we're talking about barrels rather than you know just clicks or what have you, right. it's an extreme difference, huge um, margins and swings. And so I, I think about, you also said, breaking down the silos. And yet when I think about energy and oil and gas, it tends to be a little more old school, right? Or are you not feeling that so far? No, oh, I am.
2: <laughs> I am definitely am. Okay,
1: I, and you told <laughs> not me to about insult anyone. And, no,
2: no, and you told me about uh, your background, so I am very much familiar with uh, with uh, what you said and this. Yeah, I, as this what I, I t- tried to say before that the more uh, traditional the product is, right? It would happen to me with aviation as well, and and of course now with oil and gas. The tendency for um, kind of more of siloed is not coming from some sort of, uh, you know, lack of of, of capabilities or or lack of innovation. It it comes from the need to protect the product, right? The need to silo it in order to make sure that everything goes well, because, you know, losing an hour, losing a day, losing a week of uh, refineries processes, it, it has a lot of implications. But, huge yeah, yeah huge huge so but 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 understanding kind of the data layer here and that's a very good starting point right when understanding the capabilities that you have in order to collaborate between the different pieces and having them speak to each other and work simultaneously, it just makes the company a lot better. And it's not just about the refineries, it's about the whole process, right? The supply chain and the finance and even HR and, and other uh, aspects of, of the business. And of course, the other aspects of operations and that's, uh, you know, the logistics and uh, retail, gas stations, right? Uh, trucks, like hundreds of trucks. So it, the collaboration of yeah. all of the data pieces will make each and every one of the pieces better. That's that's the importance of breaking the silos here.
1: Yeah, so we, we agree it's important to break the silos. Some of that is going to be process, people, and culture change. But you also referred to something that we see as a shift in the role of the CDO. And that is from that defensive mode: protect the data, cleanse the data govern the data, to really driving business value. And do you think you would have been able to do that as well if you were not now reporting to the CEO?
2: Wow, that's a great question. And I don't have a clear answer, but I think it's a huge advantage not just to report to the CEO, but also having the second hat as the chief technology officer, right? So all of the technologies of the company are under my supervision now. And that allows me once again to see the complete cycle. And definitely, when you are a chief data officer, but you're not in charge of all of the t- operational technologies, it allows you to be the best partner of, every- of everybody, kind of generate the relevant data for the use case, understand the business process that derives out of it. But still, you're going to need kind of to um, have the help of the CIO to embed it back to the operational system. And you're going to have to to change your, the perception of your peers to, for them to allow it to happen and to change their operational acts according to the, uh, to the need or to the insight that came out from the process. And that's, that's a lot of kind of uh, engagement roles. And I think that we, we talked about it before when it was it was just constructed. Uh, how are we going to measure ourselves in terms of, of the value that the CDO adds to the organization? And we all saw that data was just, um, Kind of the projector, right? It it allows you to see the problems. It maybe it allows you to see the the uh, to understand the whys behind the problems, but it cannot change the process. It will not change something unless it will be changed on the systems, unless it will be changed on the business side. So the full dependency here with the operational systems is is huge, and I think by having of course those two hats really allows me to. Uh, to, use a, to, to do a dramatic change. And it happened in the airline, for example. And I can give you many stories around the differences there between just having the responsibility of the data rather than data and all of the technology pieces.
1: So take us further down with the case study. Um, take airlines, if you can, or um, what you're doing here. Of And I do think oftentimes that the data collection, data for analytics, is usually an afterthought. And those two sides are not always talking to each other. So now you're able to make sure that your teams within these groups are working collaboratively. But take us through something, whether it's the airline or in oil and gas, of you have captured the data, you have a situation, and you want somebody to act on that. What is that whole closed loop?
2: You know what? I'll give you even a bonus. I'll give you three examples: one from telco, one from aviation, and one from oil and gas. Is that is that okay, Cindy?
1: Okay, go for it. All right. Yeah. So
2: let's start with the telco, right? Um, and I know that you all um, probably were uh, or are customers of uh, a company that uh, puts setup boxes in the houses, right? It was this was, was used to be before the IP uh, IPTV, yes. and then a lot of technicians were going to deal with problems with the setup boxes, right, in the houses. So we had over a million and a half customers. Uh, for the telco company that I used to work for. And one of the main issues that we addressed there was unnecessary work orders. And that means the, the technicians went to the house of the customer and found out there was a problem with the TV or a problem in the infrastructure of the house or something that they could not really do something. Now it sounds something minor, but it, it costs a lot of money, right? So even if it was just 10% or 8% of the phenomena of the work orders, it's still hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, every month. Um, so in order to address it, of course, data won't solve the problem, but we, had, I had to engage with, uh, with uh, the um, chief of the customer relationship, uh, the one was heading the service, and of course the CIO then. And I told them, all right, let's start this initiative and, and kind of it's a cost reduction scenario. So it will be very easy to measure. So the CFO gave the number here to allow us to understand how much this phenomena costs. And then we started to gather the information about the customers, about uh, uh, the set of boxes, about um, uh, the habits, and about, by by the way, the representatives themselves, the ones who are answering the phones, right? So you had, uh, for example, some of the insights, new representatives that answer the calls, and immediately when a customer shouts at them, they send a technician, right? Just- just as a quick reaction.
1: Even if it wasn't necessary. Yeah, yeah. There, was a, there was a loose cable or something. Exactly, and,
2: mm-hmm. and the same thing on the customer side, right? A lot of customers were shouting at you, ah, I want the technician here if, it, if even it was, you know, they didn't have the the willingness even to test it because they didn't want to deal with it, right, so it's a kind of an, another a data fire for that will increase the, the possibility for a false uh, work order. So we, we took all different parameters, But the first thing that was very important there was to get the um, head of customer service to uh, get his word that no matter what we're going to get out of this project, he will change the operational process around that. And once he approved that, we could do really the cycle very fast. So just to give you an example, we put up a flag in the CRM system that allowed us to kind of see whether this is kind of a shouting customer, right? Or somebody's in stress or whatever that allows us to ask more questions to make sure it's really an issue with the box and not the TV or something else. And it, to, to make a long story short, it reducted the percentage by 5 or 7%. And that's a lot. I mean, that's, that's five, seven yeah, points. Yeah,
1: huge value. Huge, huge, yeah.
2: huge value there. And it all happened not thanks to data, but thanks to the changes that were made because of the insight that you had from the data project. So this is a great example here.
1: Yeah, it is a good example. So it's the insights that the data revealed, but it also is you had to go back and change what data you captured to give more visibility. So in doing this, you got the buy-in across the different functions. Yeah. What about changing the people habits of incentivizing these CSRs not to just automatically send a technician?
2: That's wonderful. So those are the indications. And by the way, some of the training programs of those CSRs really changed because of that, right? We had an alerting of, you know, sometimes you, Call a customer stressed, but he's stressed because the technician went to his house or her house two, three times consecutive visits, like in in two or three weeks, and and he's or tired they of didn't that. Show up. Right? No, or they showed up, or they didn't <laughs> yeah. didn't fix the problem. They showed
1: up late. Yes, and we weren't working from home. Yeah,
2: you are as a customer stressed, yes. and this is important that the, the the CSR will know how to deal with it. Right? He needs. By the way, as yeah. part of understanding that, we uh, implemented kind of a a bypass in the IVR system that if you have this indication, your call will be uh, transferred first, right? Because you know you are- So
1: getting data from the box.
2: Exactly.
1: Rather than waiting for them to call. So even that proactive monitoring, I think is excellent. Some would call this decision intelligence. Are you using that term or are you just calling it insight to action?
2: It's insight to action because it's not just um, decision. It's about uh, like kind of prescriptive analytics, right? It's embedded back, and sometimes it has no human being involved, of course. So I'll give you another, the second scenario, right, from the yeah. airline, right? So for, for we had uh, an opportunity to work with our um, fly card members, and that allows us to kind of work with the loyalty programs of the airline. And it's very fruitful for the airline to have uh, a very strong loyalty program. A lot of the loyalty programs worth a lot more than the airline itself, right? That's thanks to data and, of course, the financial aspect of it. And one of the benefits is the credit cards themselves, right? As, uh, if you, I don't know if you have the credit card of your uh, uh, favorite airline. Probably you do, <laughs> right? Because it gives you of more course. points. Yes. Uh, and You can redeem them, accrual them, et cetera. And in that case, of course, it costs you a lot if you join a credit card, but you leave it beforehand because you're not enjoying that. And that allowed us to, of course, build those, those models and identify kind of where the like likelihood of churning will be even bigger, and kind of to try to predict it upfront and implement it back to the marketing automation system for you to kind of engage with the customer in order to um, kind of make him or her more accessible to the means or to the new offers that uh, this program has to uh, has to offer. And it's one thing; it was a very simple thing for me to do in charge of also digital platforms. Data, and it's just a very quick cycle that you can measure uh, very fast because you can decide that in this population with a high score, I will offer something here, we won't, and here we'll just uh, try something else, right? So, immediately you have the the implications and whatever is going to come out of it. I think the most uh, challenging use cases are on the operational side. Uh, In the airline, it was about uh, on time performance. I'll just give you an example, Cindy. well, I was still a chief data officer. I came to the maintenance people and told them, Look, um how do we connect between the information of the uh, taking care of the uh, of the airplanes right in the hangars and understanding kind of the turnarounds mm-hmm. there and what about all the data of the ma- maintenance and how it reflects uh, the on time performance? But they told me it has nothing to do with that. that's a C check that's things that we do with the airplanes. You want to talk about on- time performance, go to the service and uh, the, the station, et cetera, and ask them about the information there. And when you wanted to correlate it to the satisfaction uh, of the customers afterwards, it was no it was not connected. Only once a month, somebody took the different pieces and connected it together. But this is something that really kind of, it's, it's in real time. It's something that has to happen. So only on the data side, this is breaking the silos, taking the information from different pieces and show, by the way, everybody thought and I'll ask you this, Cindy, what is your tolerance for a late flight?
1: Well. <laughs>
2: 15 minutes, 30 minutes. It,
1: it depends. No, no, no. It, it depends. It depends on the reason. Yeah. If, if you overscheduled the crew, I'm furious. Yeah.
2: So this is something that the airline would not address. Just as an example, right? They, the answer was 45 minutes. And I told them, no, the answer is not 45 minutes. Because if you are in a business trip, and it's a 24 hours business trip, and you are in Munich, Germany, and the station there doesn't look that good, 45 minutes is eternity, right? And over there, we saw the satisfaction went down dramatically after five minutes. But if you went to Thailand, to Bangkok, and you were there for three weeks, and it's a 45 minutes delay, then you have some more time to buy all your things and maybe have a nice massage or something. But that's it. I mean, nobody cared. They didn't implicate... (laughs) The satisfaction at all. So the right answer, it depends. And depends means data. And by gathering all this information, it really became something that, whoa, this is amazing, right? We were so proud of, of landing, of having, you know, a, a 787 landing in, 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 in Malpensa, Milano, right? But, but the airline there, and whenever there was a 787 landing there, we saw a lot of delays. Because the airport was not really ready for those huge airlines, airplanes. And you saw it from the data that even though it's the best airplane in the world, the satisfaction went down because it was always delayed. So understanding the different data pieces and having them collaborated from the different systems and understanding how to change the business perception, that's the, that's the whole thing. That's, that's the role as a chief data officer.
1: Yeah, so I'm picturing all our um, listeners there who travel a lot, who are getting antsy thinking, yeah, I'm remembering this reason for the flight being late, it messed up my business meeting, and it was preventable. So the depends, I think, is, is it preventable and how was it handled? And I think this is where, when it's a silly maintenance thing, nobody ever wants to sacrifice safety But if it's a silly maintenance thing, like the lock on the bathroom door, and now you're causing a delay of four hours when that was very preventable, it is frustrating. So Ido, I don't want to pick on any airline, but if you were in the US over the holidays, you might've followed this total meltdown (laughs) of Southwest Airlines. And it was bad weather, but it was also their hub and spoke. But there was also a lot... About an aging infrastructure and technical debt of their systems, now, knowing what we both know about LL and safety and security flying into and out of Israel, I would imagine that the infrastructure is more modern. How does this impact all of this?
2: So this is a great question, and I want to address it in both ways in two ways, sorry. First way is understanding that COVID was devastating for the airlines, but it also was the biggest opportunity ever. And I, once again, had the privilege of being uh, uh, the CIO of the airline while it was in a total shutdown, right? So we, we pretty much built everything from scratch in terms of the processes and the digitalization of the things. And of course, because of so many people left or were on unpaid leave, um, it allowed us to even deal with the things that nobody dared to deal before. So going fully paperless and understanding fully digital and moving like 40% of the sales to the digital platforms and just un- enabling the digital uh, capabilities that were just not, you know, uh, not in the focus or the heart of the airline prior to COVID. And it allowed two years after to even reduce the amount of people by almost third, it was an opportunity. I always looked at COVID as an opportunity, even though we really suffered there. Um, I had a division of 360 people that was reduced to 40. Wow. In the midst of COVID, right? And then expanded back to around 200. But it it was just something unbearable to watch. But I always looked at it as, as an opportunity. And I'm glad to say that El Al today is a far better company than it was prior to covid far more efficient, far more digital. And yes, understanding that this opportunity allowed us to reinforce everything that we wanted to do, it was amazing. So I don't want to talk about other airlines, but the ones who used uh, COVID as a good uh, period to really modernize their platforms, uh, did a great job.
1: Yeah. And that's really across industries where we say the pandemic was a forcing function for accelerated digital transformation. Um, and we talk about this compressed transformation as leading to leapfroggers in the analytics industry. So it's not just who are the leaders in the laggards, but it's who are the leapfroggers. So it sounds like you're now going to apply some of those same practices at um, DELEC. And I, I think the other thing you mentioned this 45 minutes, we would call that the tyranny of averages. You, If you don't know the why, the segments behind those 45 minutes, who is business, who is leisure, how long was the flight, then that's part part of the problem.
2: Right. And by the way, with oil gas, starting with, uh, even with the basics, you know, uh, just having kind of a weekly discussion of the data analytics forum. So suddenly all of the data leaders of the different BUs are working together at least hearing about each other's work. So just consolidating the tools, consolidating the sources. It sounds very, very basic to you and to me, but it, it has to start there, right? With, with the one approach, the one delicate approach in terms of how do we utilize data analytics for us. And it's kind of understanding the benefits and how... Does one use case make the other better? I mean, everybody that is joining a panel is always thinking about, okay, so what's in it for me, right? So by understanding what your peers are doing and what are they using, and and not just that, to start to utilize each other's models in order to improve yours really makes your BU better and hence your role better. And I think it starts with the basics. I'll give you an example because you come from this industry as well. Now we're working around um, the basic things in, in the refinery, just uh, as an example, the operator rounds, right? So you have to kind of not just have the different pieces of information for, for this to happen, but also to be able to track it and to understand whether not just it was completed or not, which is the basic, but it, once again, we have the ability now to track it. But also what have you done with all of the findings? how many findings were not attended yet and how long is it going to take and what's the criticality of it. So it's about the information and the execution of it, because those pieces or those findings can be addressed directly in back to the operational system for them to report on and not just to leave it as an insight, right? It's an action that needs to happen to take care of those insights that came from the rounds. So once again, closed loops on small circles, and then kind of expand the circles and continue closing the loop. It's far better to close the loop and do small circles than having big circles and not close the loop. And this is kind of the main yeah. intention here, uh, to see complete cycles. And that's that's the whole point.
1: Yeah, I like a phrase that another one of our guests on the Data Chief Katya Walsh from Levi's, uh, start small, but scale fast. And I yeah. think these big circles, some CDOs try to boil the ocean, or they can't get the collaboration. And so um, they're chasing too many things at once. So I think the way you describe bringing everyone to the table, sharing in a non-threatening way- Your comment that it might sound basic, it's not basic. Everyone is trying to rationalize, especially in a tight economy, the myriad complexities of source systems, some 15, 20 BI tools, trying to get that down to one to three. So a lot are trying to do that right now. And I think that's important.
2: So this is why whenever someone asks me, what's the first thing you want to do in a data project is that find a a very good sponsor in a way that he will actually, he or she will actually change something because of this data data project. Otherwise, don't waste your time on on working on insight that nobody will do anything with it, right? So find yourself the best partners on the operational act. And by the way, once you have a one, two, three successful uh, cycles, you will have a a queue of of BU leaders that want to work with you. So build the momentum there, build the the good use cases, the quick wins there, and especially start with the full loop. So I like the start uh, fast and and so sorry, start small and scale fast. It's it's a very important and, and known sentence.
1: Yes, yes. So as you think about the evolution of your personal role in the industry and the role of the CDO, now being charged with capturing and identifying that value, is it getting any easier to measure or prove the value, or how can we do better as an industry on this?
2: Uh, wow, that's a, that's a, once again a great question, and I think um, two things that are critical in order for you to success there. First is a CEO that will believe in that. All right, and and my first chief data officer role was. Appointed uh, by the CEO, even though I wasn't reporting directly to him, but he he got me back from from the US, and he told me I want us to have kind of the first one of the first Chief Data Officer. I don't know where he got it from, but he he knew that he wanted this, and I was working okay. in this in probably this
1: company. read it, <laughs> yeah.
2: And I was working in this company before as the BI manager, right? So he knew I know everything about kind of the technical pieces of that, but now he wants to, to make something. On the business side as well. By the way, one of his best decisions was that I will be dual reporting, both to the CMO, chief Mm -hmm. marketing officer, and the CIO. So because he understood it won't be just a CIO side or a CMO side, it will be both. That was a great decision then. Second, besides kind of the sponsorship of the CEO here is, and this is something you really learn to do um, while you grow, is don't waste your time where uh, it's not going to happen. Focus your efforts on the places that you see that is going to be a successful thing. And then the organization will have the tolerance for the most challenging areas. All right. So those quick wins and quick successes are a necessity for for a good start and later on a good journey. Uh, Otherwise, you will start maybe with the big things, but nothing will happen. And I think this is a great, great uh, success criteria.
1: Yeah, I think that is good advice. Come back to the harder things or the bigger things, but build that portfolio of successes early and fast. Ido, you also you've worked across different industries, but you also give back to the data and analytics community as a professor. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: First of all, it is it is a privilege uh, to be able to give back, and in that case, uh, in that matter an adjunct lecturer and in, 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 as part of the MBA at Tel Aviv University, teaching big data technologies. And in the Technion, which is uh, the Israelis version of MIT, teaching uh, the data science practicum. And by the way, this course was invented and written because the head of the Technion then, he understood that there is no way that students will finish the MBA in data analytics without having a practicum. It was something that we built, uh, and I led it, of course, uh, for them to have an actual project within uh, companies in Israel. And we—it was—it was one of the most um, desirable courses because they really touched the data, and they really felt that they're. Applying their capabilities on on real companies and those companies really like the yeah. fact that they have smart students uh, in free <laughs> to work for a them. Free right? data so scientists, yeah, a free yeah. data scientists working for them. So it was <laughs> a very good, a very good collaboration. And unlike the states, it's not like far away from you. It's everybody is close to each other, so you can really go there physically and work. And it was just an, an, a great course. And I had an opportunity of building the chief data officer community in Israel and represent us in the uh, global ambassador uh, program of MIT and with that uh, having the first certificate of chief data officer in Israel and and having that uh, established in Israel so building the second third generations of chief data officers and yes that's that's part of the giving back it's not for the money it's for the education and for the own uh, feeling
1: yeah so important um, and that you're working with people both early in their careers and also those moving into the CDO role. So if you think about the people earlier in their careers, is there a skill that you wish more universities or even the data science certificates or boot camp programs, a skill that you wish they would add?
2: Well, there are a few things that you can teach, uh, cannot teach, and that's uh, kind of uh, politics and kind of uh, organizational politics and how to collaborate with peers. I think it will concentrate more on the te- technical capabilities and the and, uh, implications of that. Maybe what we talked about success criteria is understanding what a success is. Uh, I think we discussed a bit about kind of the differences between the different types of uh, of chief data officers, the ones that are more Uh, measured by data governance and data uh, lineage and those technical aspects of utilizing data, whereas other CDOs are measuring for the value, right? For the cost reduction, for the increased revenue, for the um, risk reduction. And with that, this is something those boot camps can uh, help with is understanding what the success is and how to be good at what you are and how to actually measure that and what would be kind of the tips of not falling into the small holes that people fell before you.
1: Yeah, I think um, those are skills that everyone needs, regardless of the level that they're at. Well, Ido, you've covered a lot of ground. Why Why don't we go to a lightning round? So this is fast and furious. But when you're not working with data, what is one of your favorite things to do?
2: I'm a basketball player, and I like to practice just a bit whenever I can. Um, so it was a unique part of my career I was also a basketball coach, coach kids and youth and adults. And it's, it's something that I really like. And, uh, so, so playing basketball and second is documentary films. I really like to watch documentary ah. and whenever, uh, uh, my wife wants to to watch something, I always say, is it based on a true story? Cause if not, I don't waste my time. I want to see, I want to see real things that happened and the stories behind them. So that, that's, okay. that's me.
1: So do you have a favorite um, basketball team and a favorite documentary?
2: Well, the favorite documentary that I can recommend is actually the last that I saw because it's kind of still in my mind. So I'm watching kind of the Rome, Emperor, the Roman Empire. Uh, it's a documentary. So it kind of goes through, through that uh, journey of uh, this uh, amazing empire and the way it was uh, eventually uh, collapsed. It takes a while, so you need a few hours for that. And (laughs) a basketball team, I I was a huge, huge MJ fan. So ever since he left, I only care about the basketball and not the specific team.
1: Okay, good. (laughs) Um, If you were CEO for a day, what would you tell the data team?
2: Bring value. Bring value. Collaborate and bring value. Data is not the solution. Data is the enabler for the best solution to be out there.
1: Love it. One word to describe chat, GTP. Embrace it. Mm, Okay, we're going to have to have coffee over that one. Data is, (laughs) fill in the blank, data is?
2: Enlightening.
1: Being a data leader is? A privilege. It really is, isn't it? It Don't we work in such a great industry?
2: Yes. We are happy nerds.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, 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 we're cool. Cool. I'm changing this image. You're you're oh, a data right. dude, and I'm a data diva. I think. <laughs> um, what kind of? <laughs> we're not nerds. No. Um, what kind of mentors or books or thought leaders have inspired you throughout your journey?
2: Wow. First of all, I love mathematical uh, books. Simon Singh is a great writer that I like to read his books. Yeah. Uh, in terms of data, uh, Doug Laney's, uh, I think, Infonomics was a, a book that made Infonomics. me change a lot of my perceptions. I mean, there's so many others, but those are kind of the two that I want to mention.
1: Yeah, great ones. How about a song that pumps you up?
2: Hmm. I wasn't expecting that. It's in Hebrew. Okay. So I don't know how familiar the audience is with Hebrew, but it would be uh, a group named Machina, which I like very much. Lots of okay. their songs are really exciting. But if it's going to be in the English version, it will be Clocks by Coldplay.
1: Oh, oh! I have just resumed listening to Coldplay. But Masina, we actually do have listeners in really? Israel. So right. um, yes, we do worldwide. Right. That's so uh, we'll, ha- we'll link to that. Um, what about a moment in your career when you knew it was time to make a change?
2: Wow. That, that was, I, I want to call it a sad moment, but it was good eventually. I got into the data field after being a captain of a basketball team. And I had a, a conversation with my coach, who was a VP sales of a BI company. And he told me, I know you love basketball and I know you coach and you like to coach, but it's about time to grow up. And I was, I think, 22 And I told him, but I love basketball. And he said, I know. And I love the way that you play basketball, but it's time for you to go to the other side of your career and to join me in my company and be kind of an implementer of our system and help me with with the sales processes as well. So it was a a unique part where you you understood you're probably not going to be an NBA player. So it's about time to think about other aspects of your career. And that was a Sad, you know, as, as, a, as, as a young person, a sad moment, but here I am now, so you don't see me cry.
1: Yeah, yeah. It is, <laughs> it is a sad moment in a way, but look how many opportunities of course. this industry has brought you and how much you've influenced it.
2: And, and, and to tell you the truth, he's right. I was not supposed to be an NBA player, right? I wasn't, the, <laughs> I wasn't that good.
1: <laughs> okay, but, but now you, now you coached. Um, yeah. And still get to play, yeah. at least for fun. And so it's still a lifelong skill. And that that's great. Well, Ido, I, it's been great having you on the Data Chief. I always like to close with one of two questions. You can decide depending on your mood in the moment. All right, But either what are you most grateful for right now or something that has just totally made you laugh out loud recently?
2: Thank God I'm healthy and I have a beautiful family and I do appreciate every moment in this life so that's a big answer for a nice question but i do wish all of uh, all of the people uh that i care about a huge i mean health first all the rest is bonus and and data is a particular nice bonus
1: yes you know it's been a pleasure having you on the data chief thank you for joining us
2: thank you very much thank you sydney
0: thank you for tuning in to another episode of the data chief to learn more about today's guest recommend a future guest or hear more of the show head over to the if you have questions for cindy or comments about the episode give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on linkedin and tagging cindy house and if you haven't already be sure to subscribe rate and review the show every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.